Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It's good to be with you this week. I uh, made the right decision in staying home for your benefit and mine too, but uh, I missed being here, missed you. This week I uh, was quite a bit better, but the, my, this thing is lingering as so many of you have already experienced. I called my doctor and called the office and ended up talking to the nurse because he had told me last week, he said, if it doesn't go away, you know, call me and I'll give you something for it. So I called the nurse and she was kind of, she wasn't talking like she was really going to give me anything. I said, listen, you tell that doctor, if I don't get better by Sunday, he has to come and preach. (laughs) And I don't think she quite understood what a humorous relationship the doctor and I have. She was taken back by that just a little bit. Especially when I said, and I don't want any of that medical drivel in the sermon. <laughs> You'll have to endure a little bit of coffee, but not uh, as much as you would have last week. A couple of weeks ago, we had a uh, had our Awana Grand Prix, and for those of you that weren't here, we have some really creative cars. I mean, uh, this is uh, maybe one of the best I've ever seen. Who, who is anybody here who did that? Who? Your mom's car. Nice. Did you actually make it? <laughs> wow, that's really, that's, that's nice, man. I, I wish I could do artistic things like that. My just don't look so good. Uh, that's uh, kind of a horse wagon. Who, who's, who's the, who belongs to the horse wagon? Oh, nice, Mariah. That was really great. And then uh, I'm not sure what that is. An angelfish. Oh, okay. Who made the angelfish? Okay, that's great. <laughs> a fruit truck. Who made the fruit truck? One of the cubbies. Yeah, yeah. Strawberry car. Yeah. And then that's that's some kind of a kind of a space invader there. Who's who's that? Anybody here? All right. Nice. Um, little bee there. Yeah. Um, you know, we have very exacting rules and requirements for the, uh, for the, uh, whatever it's called, the Pinewood Derby there. You know, so much, so certain size, and you gotta use the certain wheels, and it has to weigh a certain amount, and when you first come in with your car, you gotta go to the fellow with the scale, and he weighs it, and if it doesn't weigh right, they're gonna drill some holes in the thing, you know, and, we have to be very exacting on the rules because some people really like to win. And I wouldn't say any names, but her initials are Charlotte Boricker. <laughs> and Jim and I highly beat her the last couple of years. Oh! <laughs> so we have to have some very exacting rules to make sure everybody plays fairly. In the day of Christ, uh, breaking the rules was practically a sport, particular in one area. Let's read about it here in Matthew 5, starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said by those of old, you shall not swear falsely, 
but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than this is from the evil one. I want to look at the, the rule that Christ is talking about, because in this section of uh, Matthew 5, he's comparing both two things to what it should be. He's comparing the Old Testament law and the way the law was used compared to what it should be if you really lived out the intent of the law, especially under Christ as a believer in him. And so when Christ says here, you have heard it said of old, you shall not swear falsely, and so on, he doesn't quote just one scripture from the Old Testament, but he quotes from several places in the law. It's an interesting way that he kind of brings some things together. And so we start out with the Ten Commandments themselves. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now we often equate this with what we call cussing when we would use the name of God in a non-worshipful manner, and it certainly applies to that. But it also applies to what Jesus is talking about, that is making an oath. In the name of God, I say such and such, or I swear that I am telling truthfully. That's an oath. And so that was one of the ways, if you were to make an oath but not mean it, you would be using God's name in an empty or useless manner. So we start with the, with the Ten Commandments, and then we go to Leviticus, from, which is an expansion of the law. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And then we go down a little bit farther to Numbers, to the, the uh, and also here you shall not swear falsely by my name, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. And here from Numbers, when they're getting ready to go into the land, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then also he picks up a little piece from the book of Deuteronomy, which was written later in Israel's history in repeating the law. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. That's, it would be sin not to pay it. And so Jesus takes all of this from the Old Testament law and boils it down to what we just read. You shall not swear falsely, you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. He, he takes all of those verses we just read and puts them down into that one sentence. Now, here's what's important for you to understand about making an oath in the Old Testament. It was not required. If you abstain from vowing, it shall not be a sin to you. In other words, you didn't have to make an oath to, to say, I'm telling the truth or I will perform this thing. It was not required. It was an optional way that you would say, I'm really serious about this. You know, in the name of God, I will do this thing that I have told you I will do. God never required making oaths, but he did regulate them. He commanded that when they are made, they should only be made in his name. He shouldn't make them in anything else. Now, why did they make oaths? 
Well, we've been talking about it a little bit, but actually Hebrews 6.16 summarizes the reason for making an oath. For indeed, men swear by something greater, greater than themselves, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. In other words, people are uh, saying, well, I want you to do this or do that, and the guy says, I'll do it. And he says, we still say this today, do you swear? Do you swear that you'll do it? And the guy would make an oath then by something greater than himself. So he might say, you know, by Mount Baker, I swear that I will do it. Or, you know, and we, we snicker at that, but that's the kind of thing they would do. And, of course, what God said in the law was you should only invoke the name of God when you're making an oath, nothing else. And so the oath was a way to hold people to honesty. John MacArthur put it this way. Any oath calling on God invites him to witness the truthfulness of what is said or to avenge it if it is a lie. An oath was therefore generally taken to be the absolute truth. You know, you made an oath, you must be telling the truth. Charles Ryrie put it this way, Every oath contained an affirmation of a promise of an appeal to God as the punisher of falsehoods, and so that made the oath binding. Here's an example of oaths in action in the Old Testament. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh. Now we don't know all the details on this, but it appears that that is some kind of a, a way to make something very solemn. I know for me personally, if I ever asked you to put your hand under my thigh, there would have to be something dreadfully wrong. <laughs> I mean, we, could, we all understand, and that's pretty personal. Yes, it is, and that appears to be the emphasis. Abraham's going, I'm serious here, bud. Put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham was very concerned to maintain what God had started with Isaac. And so he said, listen, here's, I want you to go to this certain place, get a, 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 a girl from that family and bring her back. And in fact, when he went there, there was a point at which he said, I have sworn to my master by the God of heaven and earth that I will do this thing. And it was a way for Abraham to say, I'm going to die. And, and Abraham, in fact, did not see the completion of this. And so Abraham is saying, I'm about to go here, and I want you to swear to me that you're going to do this. And so bringing God in as the, as the, um, the, the witness, if you will. That's really what this is. It's making God a witness to a promise. We do this in the court of law. Now, I, I realize today in our country this has become optional, and I understand that. But historically, and in some places still, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Okay. In other words, you're... You're telling me that you're going to stand before God someday and he will say, yes, you told the truth. That's what I'm asking for right now. Um, <clears throat> and we do this casually, as I mentioned earlier. Do you swear? You know, kids will say, do you swear, you know, to, to, to that? Yeah. 
Now, ultimately, and I understand, and there's a little bit of a, a challenge in bringing this all together. Jesus said, just don't swear at all. But he did not say that it's a sin to ever swear. Because as we come down to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, we hear the Apostle Paul essentially take an oath. I call God as my witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. This is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians, he is defending himself as, a, as an apostle of Christ. And he said, I call God as my witness that the reason I didn't come was to spare you. In other words, he was really trying to say, I am telling you, the, the phrase we use is, the God's honest truth. Okay, And so he brought God to witness. He essentially made an oath. So God didn't say it's wrong. He just said, just let that go. But there are times. Now, interestingly enough, later in the ministry of Christ, he himself responded to the request for an oath. The, uh, the high priest is, is uh, questioning uh, Jesus. Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. And so this is, a, this is you don't quite see this in the scripture, this is a court of law. And the high priest is acting, acting as the judge, and he says, I put you under oath by God, answer this question. And so Jesus said, yes. That's basically what he said. He answered it. And so if, if God is not condemning the making of oaths, what is God condemning? What is Christ pushing back against here? Well, look again with me at Matthew 5. I say to you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, nor the city, for it's the city of the great king. Don't swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Here's what you need to understand about the time in which Jesus lived. The command to not swear, excuse me, I've left a word out. The command to not swear falsely in God's name was a loophole in the law that the Pharisees tried to exploit. Now, here's what I mean. They said, okay, the law says if I make an oath, I'm supposed to make it in God's name. So, when I'm going to make an oath, I'm not going to make it in God's name. I'm going to say, I swear by the city of Jerusalem. Now, why did they do that? They did it because they intended not to keep their word. They knew that the law bound them if they used the name of God, and so they used Jerusalem. What is the list that he puts here? Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, their own head. And so uh, what they were doing was this. I swear I'll do it. but they did not intend to do it. Jesus even talked about this later in the book of Matthew. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Do you see how they're working this, this loophole thing here? They're, they're not swearing in the name of God, and then even below that, they've made these rules. Fools and blind for which is greater, the gold 
or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is obliged to perform it. You see, they came up with all kinds of rules. And essentially, they made oaths with the intention of deceiving people. They knew they were going to lie. They did it on purpose, and they came up with a system that still, watch the quote marks here, allowed them to think they were righteous because they weren't swearing in God's name. God only said you can't swear falsely if you swear in his name. So if I swear falsely other times, then that's okay. We, would, we never would do something like that, would we? We wouldn't come up with a loophole for how to get out of being righteous. You know, Peter actually did this. When he had gone out to the gateway, another girl, this is when he's watching Christ be interrogated and, and persecuted there before his crucifixion. When he'd gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. You remember that? And he kept denying him. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Now, we don't know what the oath is. But he made an oath. Why? To get them to believe him. But he knew it was false from the moment he made the oath. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, don't make an oath. <laughs> In fact, what he gets to is he says, just don't make any oaths. Just don't do it. Now again, it's not wicked to swear an oath. I testified in a court case, a criminal case once, and they said, do you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth? And I said, yes, I do. As many of you went in the military, and you took an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America, and that's perfectly righteous. And many of you were married, some of you right here, and we called God to witness on your vows. That's taking an oath. That is not an ungodly thing. But what is ungodly is taking an oath with the purpose of falsehood, of deception, of lying. And so Jesus comes all the way down to verse 37, and he makes it really simple. He commends truthfulness. Isn't that something? <laughs> Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than this is from the evil one. And so I want to spend the rest of my time today asking and answering this question. Why should you live in the truth? Why should you live in the truth? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. This is one of the most uh, powerful, challenging, scary passages of Scripture, I think, in the Bible. Um, you probably don't think of the Proverbs that way, but I think it is. Proverbs 1, verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. And here's her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? 
For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called to you, and you refused... I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and you would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. That's the scary part. You can ignore God's wisdom. But then God stands back and says, you want to be on your own? See how that works for you. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel. They despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. That's what we call suffering the consequences of your actions. They shall eat the fruit of their own way. They shall be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. Turning away from what? Turning away from the wisdom of God. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Why should you live in the truth? First and foremost, to protect yourself. You want safety? Then obey God Starting with honesty. Honesty is the best policy because it's God's policy. In the New Testament, it reads like this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption or destruction or death or problems or difficulty. But he who sows to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, to the Spirit of God, will of the Spirit reap an everlasting kind of life, the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10. You want safety? Be honest. I don't know how many ways I've heard people talk about not telling the truth. I've been at a lot, of, a lot of scenes where somebody has died and they say, well, we're not going to tell Grandma. We're not going to tell Grandpa because he won't be able to take it. And these are unbelievers and I say, you know what? Grandpa's going to find out. And then he's going to be mad at you because you didn't tell him. You might just as well go right ahead and tell him and leave the results up to God. Be honest. Tell the truth. Don't be harsh. Don't be mean. Be gracious, but tell the truth. I am going to leave my husband. What? Well, I'm not really going to leave him. I just told him I'm going to leave him because I want him to straighten up. So you think you're going to gain safety for your life by lying. Not going to happen.
I want to talk to my daughter, and I want to tell her this and this and this to scare her into changing her behavior. I said, but that's not true, is it? No, it's not true. So you're going to lie to your daughter to get her to live righteously. You want to be safe? Be honest. There is a fear in honesty at times because we know when we speak the truth, there's going to be some repercussion. There's going to be somebody upset with us or whatever. Absolutely. Take your lumps up front. Because when you lie, you are stepping out of God's wisdom into your own. And God says, you will suffer the consequences that you created. I did not create that. And friend, I don't want to be in a place where God has let go. As hard as it is to be honest, be honest. It will protect you. Number two, and you'll notice that most of these reasons I would call selfish. You want to love yourself? Tell the truth. (laughs) To protect yourself and then to please yourself. To please yourself, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says you should treat people around you with the same uh, respect that you want to be treated. So my question is this. How do you feel when somebody lies to you? You think, oh, no problem. Hey, that's the way people are. Well, they lied. I guess that's just, uh, you know, whatever. Right. That's what you think. No big deal, right? No, when somebody lies, you want justice. You don't like it. You feel abused. You feel taken advantage of. So you should treat them the way you want to be treated. You want to be treated with honesty and respect? Treat other people with honesty and respect. Love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. You want to please yourself? Be honest to others. Number three, to succeed in the world. Now, I know that people in the world lie. I know they lie all the time. Some of them seem to get paid to lie. And you know the old joke, how do you know when a fill-in-the-blank is lying? Because their lips are moving. (laughs) I understand that. And yet, I would argue this point. The world works by honesty. The world expects honesty at some level. Um, The world has certain principles that cannot be transgressed. Gravity, life and death, work and eating, and telling the truth. Because you cannot create your own reality. You can try to create your own reality. You might get away with lying on your resume, but when they find out, you will be in trouble. Probably most of you don't know this guy by his picture. His name is Ronald Zarella. Anybody know him? Know this story? He is the CEO of Bosch and Lom, the uh, eyeglass people, the lens people, that sort of thing. And on his, on his resume, he said, I have an MBA from a certain university. Well, the truth was he had attended the university on, and worked on an MBA, but he never completed the degree. And his claim was never checked out. They didn't go through his resume with a fine-tooth comb because when he came to Bosch and Lom, he'd already been an executive at other places, and they, they, they probably took his resume and application 
well, you know, whatever, but this is who he is and what he's done, and so we're going to hire him. And uh, he was forced to forfeit $1.1 million from a bonus that could have reached as high as $1.65 million because they found out he lied on his resume when he applied to the company. Now, what's crazy is they didn't fire him because he was doing a great job at the company, which means he was suited for the job, he had the experience for the job, but he felt the need to lie and say he had an MBA, and so it cost him a million bucks. And you're telling me the world doesn't work by truthfulness? The most famous contemporary liar, of course, is Lance Armstrong. I mean, next to the word liar in the dictionary should be his picture. He, he lied and lied and lied and lied and lied and lied and lied, and when other people said, no, you're guilty, he lied about them and caused them great grief as well. And finally, you know why this really came out? There was a new set of uh, management people at the American Anti-Doping Organization. He gave a $100,000 donation to the organization, and the old management people kind of slowed things down a lot. But when a new guy comes in and they look at all the evidence, they go, this guy's definitely been doing this. And so then he confessed to Oprah, the uh, pastor of the air, And now he is being sued by those people whose lives he ruined and by the federal government. And you're going to tell me lying works in the long run, in the big picture? It will not. The world still works to a a high degree by honesty. You want to succeed in the world? Be honest. You will have less success in the short run if you are an honest person. But greater success and satisfaction in the long run if you tell the honest truth number four to be believed if you're known as a truthful person you don't need to swear an oath if you are known as an untruthful person an oath won't help i think of a kid in high school i could tell you his name right now but i won't he was a He was a guy who tried to make himself into something, and so he he just said anything to anybody who he was with and said other things to other people when he was with them. And after a while, it was like, boy, I don't want nothing to do with you. He wasn't a bad guy. I would have hung out with him, but when I found out the way he talked and the character that he had, I, I didn't want anything to do with him. You know, listen to this scripture. This is really crazy. Um, God, uh, through Paul, was giving Titus instructions about going to Crete and to doing the ministry in Crete. And, and, and along the way in this commission, he says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans, people from Crete, are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Have you ever noticed that before in the scripture? God said those people call themselves liars, and it's true. That was the reputation of a whole group of people. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. 
that they may be sound in the faith. These people had a reputation for being dishonest. So much so that God wrote it in the Bible. Do you want to be believed? Then be honest. Do you like it when people doubt you constantly? Are you sure? Did you really? Were you there? What were you doing? No. Do you want people to trust you? Then be honest. Be forthright. To empower maturity. God's basic rule of growth is this. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. God's basic way of us growing up is speaking this truth in love. I'm doing it today. Um, We do it in Sunday school. We do it at camp. We do it wherever we are. We speak the truth in love. And we should do it interpersonally, and we should do it personally. When I open the Bible every morning, I should be coming to the Bible saying, God, how do you see me? That is the way that I will grow. Listen to this confrontation from Galatians chapter 2. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Peter was not living out the truth of God completely in regard to accepting uh, Gentiles. So when, the, when some of the Jewish leaders came around, he, he uh, secluded himself only with the Jews and he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles, and that was wrong. God had specifically revealed it to Peter and through him to the rest of the church. And of course, Paul knew about this as well. And so when Paul came along, he said, Peter, that's a sin. Talk about the clash of the titans. The Apostle Paul confronting the Apostle Peter. Peter could have said, (coughs) Excuse me, Paul. I believe I'm the one that Jesus said, I'm going to build this church, and you're going to have the keys to the kingdom. I think I am the guy here, and so I think I can do what I want to do. But he didn't do that. He listened to the rebuke because it was from God's word. And what was the result of that? Peter grew. Paul grew. The church grew. And today we don't have any dualism that says, well, Jews and Gentiles stay apart. If Paul hadn't spoken the truth and Peter had lived on in his weakness and immaturity, he would have led others, as the Scripture says there in Galatians 2, that he was leading others into that. If we say words just to please people, so they will be comfortable, it blesses them in the short term. But real change is the result of loving, honest communication now, so that in the long term, I might grow and honor Christ. To prepare for judgment. Turn with, um, let's see, I think I've got the scripture here. Remember this story from Acts chapter 5? A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? 
And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Now, if you don't fully grasp this, you'd have to go back and look just a little bit ahead in the context. There were a lot of people selling their belongings, bringing the money to the church, and it was being distributed as social welfare, supporting one another who were poor. And just before this passage, Barnabas had just done that very thing. I sold a piece of land, here's the money. Now these guys come in and say, I sold a piece of land for 10000 here's the money. But in reality, they had sold it for 15000 Now the key thing that I want you to pick up is this. You have not lied to men but God. And I'm going to say something really profound now. You can't hide from God. You can't create your own reality with God. When you stand before God at the Bema seat, at the place where God will evaluate the life of us as a Christian to give us reward, um, and, and not to see whether we make it to heaven or not, but to see what reward we receive, God is going to look at the reality of our life, not the reality we create for Him. We're not going to stand there and say, now God, let me tell you about my life. He knows about your life. And so if we are going to be judged or evaluated, rewarded by God, we should live in the honest truth now, especially that truth that changes me to make me more like Christ. I I should be living in that honest truth, speaking truth to myself, interacting truthfully so that I could be as mature and as... um, I could serve the Lord as best as possible so that when I stand before God in judgment... The reality that he talks about will be the reality that I lived in. Not one I created in my mind, but which was not true. Matthew 6.4 talks about the father who sees in secret. You can get away with lying to your parents or your pastor or the cop who pulled you over. I know that. You can get away with that for a while. But God sees all. God sees all. God doesn't need to ask what happened. He already knows. And he says this, I say that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account in the day of judgment. And so when we're tempted to lie, we should say, you know what? God sees me. God knows me. God is here. Why, why do I think I'm going to get away with this? I may get away with it on earth. I may not be called to account. That could happen. But I will be called to account before God. The last reason you ought to tell the truth is this, to be assured of salvation. Now, again, I'm not trying to say that you earn salvation by telling the truth. That is not the truth. But God does say that there will be judgment, and included in that judgment in in regard to people going to hell will be liars. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in them. Now this judgment is not the Bema seat. This is the great white throne. When God is judging all of those who have never believed in Christ... Two books are open. One, the book 
that records the sin of mankind. The other book that records is your name written in the book of life. That is, when you believe in Christ, God pins your name in, or perhaps it's there before you even believe. But this, this is the record of those who are Christians. This is the record of the sin of those who are not Christians. And all of those who have never believed will be brought before Christ and, and he will hold open this book and say, your name's not here and look at all of this sin. Now what I want you to notice is the list of sins that he's taking note of. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God puts lying right alongside of murder because there is a great sense in which sin is sin. When you come to faith in Christ, he gives you a new nature. And that new nature includes a Holy Spirit who who convicts of what's right and what is wrong. And when you are about to tell a lie, the Holy Spirit should be there saying, don't do that. The Holy Spirit should be there saying, tell the truth. And if that voice is not speaking to you and convicting you of what is right and wrong, and if you feel free to lie and feel no problem with the consequences, you should be doubting your salvation this morning. The assurance of salvation is when we can look at our life and say, I have said those words, I have prayed that prayer, I have believed in Christ, and I know in my heart that the Holy Spirit is there convicting me of wrong. I know I'm tempted to lie. I know sometimes I give in, but it's wrong, and I'm, and I'm working toward being honest 100%, and God help me, I'm going to be there, and I'm not going to tolerate lying. That's the way a Christian thinks and talks. But the unbeliever says, hmm, nobody noticed my lie. That worked out. And they go on to the next one. Jesus had some pretty serious words about that. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. If you don't have a conscience toward lying, if you live in lying consistently, it may just be that the devil is your father, not the Lord of heaven. And so I I say that today as an encouragement for you to examine your heart and say, I don't want to come to stand before God and find out my faith was not real. I want to have a transforming faith. I had my annual physical uh, a week ago. I'm in amazingly good health for a person that eats at McDonald's every day. My doctor prescribed a glass of wine every night. So I tasted some at the Olive Garden the other day, free little 25-cent taste, and I thought, I've had medicine that tasted better than that. You know, when I go to my doctor, the first test that they administer is... Get on the scale. 
And, and when I say, I'll tell you how much I weigh, they say, forget it, get on the scale. <laughs> and if I were to say, I don't need that cholesterol check, I don't need that sugar check, I could tell you what it is. They'd say, we don't need your opinion of your health. We have the facts right here. They know how healthy I am or not. And God knows what is going on in your heart, whether you tell him the truth or not. A life of truthfulness on the outside is developed first and foremost by a life of truthfulness on the inside. Speaking God's truth to yourself in front of Him and to Him. And letting that honesty just come out as your normal way of speaking. I hope you're being honest with yourself today, especially about your salvation, but also about truthfulness. And I hope this week you'll think about that the next time you're tempted and say, God, I am going to trust in you and I'm going to tell the truth and I'm going to let you protect me and let you provide for me. Heavenly Father, help us. We are tempted in all kinds of little ways and some big ways to, to fudge, to tell a white lie, to sneak one by, all of those ways that we like to talk about things to try to make them better than they are. Help us to say the God's honest truth about our communication, whether it's honest or not. And help us to strive for 100% honesty all the time. As we do that, Father, we pray for your blessing. We pray that your wisdom would be real and strong and powerful in us and that it, in just the opposite of laughing at our calamity, you will be care, caring for us and and. and watching for us every moment of the day. Help us to, help us to live in you, I pray in your name. Amen.